If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. I'm here today with a very special guest. This is my niece, Natalie Lamb. Natalie, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Natalie has a really great story. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was just to be able to share people's people's stories, people's Mm -hmm. experiences. Because we look at each other, I think, and we think that our experiences are all the same. Or we look at ourselves in the mirror and think there's nothing special or unique about us. But then when we start talking about it and we start listening to all that we've accomplished and where we've come from and where we are now, it's incredible. And I love it because it really makes people feel proud. You walk out of a podcast and you think, gosh, <laughs> I am really cool. I've accomplished so much. So, Natalie, you are the, the poster girl. I don't know about that. For, all of, for, all, for <laughs> all of these these things that are really dear to me. So let's talk a little bit about your story. Maybe start, where should we start? Maybe tell us a little bit about your parents. Okay, so my parents, uh, my dad is Tuk Lam, and he was a boat refugee from Vietnam, came over here in the 80s. Um, He came with two siblings, his older brother and his younger sister, and um, the parents allowed him to leave and had to let him leave because he was a boy, and he was coming of age to serve in the war, and uh, my grandfather didn't want to lose his son. He saw around the neighbors and saw that, you know, a lot of people were coming up whether dead, amputated, whatever the case may be. And so mm-hmm. dismissing. Um, dismissing. Take them. Yes. And so my dad actually had to had to leave. He didn't really want to leave, but he was coming of age. So sent a boat, um, was thinking he was going to go to Malaysia. Uh, three days, that was kind of the trip plan, but the Viet Cong shot the boat. So actually the motor broke down. Really? Yes. And so my dad was actually at sea for around 40 days. Without a motor. Without a motor. So along the way, you know, there was lots of deaths. There was, they weren't ready for it. They weren't planned. They were, they lost their motor. So here they are just flowing in the ocean, um, hoping for rain, hoping to just get by, hoping to have something to be able to, you know, have their boat reach. Because at that point, you know, people are dying from starvation and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And so, uh, my father eventually ended up in Hainan, China, and um, he was probably around 80 pounds is what he said. Really? Yes. And so... Um, um, after starving, basically, after starving for 40 days. For 40 days. And uh, came to Hainan, China. Those people are really generous and really nice and got him on his feet. And eventually, um, he was sponsored over to America. And that's where he is now in Salt Lake City, Utah. But my mom came over with her siblings and was sponsored by... Aunt Tammy here and, and <laughs> Uncle Lee. So that's kind of her story and how our family came over. But um, so my mom came over probably in the 90s. And, mm-hmm. and 91. 91, right? And uh, yeah, my mom is uh, the oldest out of five siblings. And uh, we're just so lucky and grateful, you know, for Lee and Aunt Tammy to, you know, give us this opportunity to be here. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And well, so, Natalie, so, you are. Thank you. You you are just such a, a great um your family is such a great American dream mm. example. 
of, of people who have come from another country escaping the country that they love right. and, and wish could be their home forever, but seeking refuge somewhere else. Right. And really, the embodiment of what the American dream means to be able to come over with literally nothing. Right. Your parents came over with nothing. And exactly. your dad came over with nothing. Yes. And then to be able to build these lives and these futures for their kids is, is the ultimate dream. And so let's talk about your life. Mm -hmm. You grew up in West Valley. West Valley. Okay. Tell us about what it was like going to school and just being from immigrant parents. Mm -hmm. I think if I remember, I'm trying to like go back into when I was a kid and, and how that worked. I was, I was always very close with my family. Very, very close with my mom's side, um, with our side of the family. And our grandparents, my grandpa and grandma, basically practically raised me. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I had a really, really great childhood because, you know, I actually didn't speak English until I went to school. So English is my third language. I spoke Vietnamese and Chinese before I even got to speaking English. So I struggled a lot academically growing up because... I didn't understand how to read. I didn't know what people were saying. I was struggling with what the teacher was saying. Um, right. I mean, your your family, well, my family <laughs> is, is my family too. Um, really, we're we're able to because there were five siblings, and right. then your two parent your your grandparents came over as well, right. all at the same time. Right. You're able to kind of keep that well, not kind of, but really keep that culture intact. Right. And so, in the home environment, it was it was as though you'd never left right. Vietnam. Right. <laughs> your parents had never left. Right. I think I appreciated it a lot as a kid, um, but then as I grew older, especially in high school, so I went to a private elementary school. My mom was very big into getting me the proper education. She and my father both knew that in order for us to have a better life, that I needed to be educated and I needed to be able to stand on my own two feet. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they were making like minimum wage. Here they are. I'm you know, getting chills and goosebumps as you're telling me this. <laughs> um, my dad's an assembly worker, you know, he was building these x-ray machines and for, for 20, 30 years now. And my mom, you know, she was a hairstylist and we were struggling to make it by as, right. as, as I'm, I remember being a kid, you know, and just thinking to myself, why can't I buy certain things? And it's not that they didn't love me or that they didn't, they couldn't, they just mm -hmm. financially could not afford it right. as what my mother and, and they tried. Right. right. Um, but I think as I grew older, especially in high school, we had our differences. I think that's when my cultural shock came in because I was um, I went to a pu public school for, and, high school and for high school. And uh, my mom did not want me be, being in the West Valley area because it was just dangerous. It was a little bit more. Um, she wanted maybe you to have the opportunity to right. really take accelerated classes. Right. And we didn't offer that in West Valley a lot. Um, back in the day. And so my mom actually drove like 45 minutes every day. My parents both did. They didn't drive the freeway. <laughs> right, back roads. 45 minutes <laughs> on the back, back roads. roads to get to my high school at Highland High and to take IB classes. That's what I, you know, my mom wanted me to get into the IB program. So I was doing IB classes. And I remember being how different, like feeling so different mm -hmm. in high school. And I think that's when it hit me, realizing like, wow, I am an Asian woman. Why am I having this cultural shock like why you know why is my mom's I mean my friend's mom's you know just so sweet about their grades and why is my mom so tough on me <laughs> right. she's a tiger um, mom she's a tiger mom and just realizing certain things about I was very frustrated that would be the word that I would describe my relationship with my mom was very strained and my father too I think in certain lights of just like was it strained because was there a little bit of embarrassment was there a little bit of disconnection I think it was both. It was like I didn't understand 
why they push so hard okay. on me. And being an only child, too, I think that was a lot, right? It's like, if you don't make it, like, we really don't have anything. It's right, kind of in right, their you're, eyes. You're the future. Right, in their eyes. And I think for me, it was like, oh, my gosh, this pressure is just overbearing. Mm-hmm. Because I, being kind of the oldest on, like, the cousin side of right. our family, too, it's like my grandparents were always like, okay, you need to do this right. If you don't do this right. Nobody then, else will. Right. right. You that's, had to set the gold that's, standard. That's kind of their Chinese traditional Vietnamese standards. Like, you're the eldest you need to do stuff, mm-hmm. like, right? And so I was very frustrated. I had a lot of Caucasian friends and, you know, they were very, very sweet. And their mom was like, oh, yeah, it's fine if you didn't have the best grades. We'll work on it. And and very supportive, whereas my mom was just very harsh mm-hmm. because she just wanted so badly for me to succeed. Right. Um, And I think it worked out in my favor, like looking back now that I'm where I'm at, you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Flash forward to where you, you are now, Natalie, yeah. because you're exceptional. No, thank you. Yeah, it it I look back and I I thank my mom a lot. I'm very grateful for what she did and my dad especially. I think um I I don't know if I would be here. Like honestly, without my mom just really pushing hard for me mm-hmm. and my dad being like the teddy bear that he is, right? Being very soft He's and He's a sweetheart. And and being there to support me through it because after high school I eventually got the scholarship. I was a first ascent scholar at the University of Utah, and that was like a business scholarship, and it helped. Full ride, full everything, ride. incredible yeah. scholarship. Right, and um, so Jeff and Helen Cardin um, started this scholarship, and he interviewed me, and I was 18, I was really scared, and once I got accepted, it changed my whole life. Like Completely. Changed my whole life. So neat. And I owe it a lot to really great people along the way, right, that were mentoring and willing to take a chance on this little 18-year-old girl that was really frustrated with her identity for for a while and being able to see through it and being able to allow me to embrace it. I think that was so important in college um, was for me to say, hey, you know, we're all different, but yet we're all so similar. Like, it's true. And to be proud of it. I think it took me a really long time to be proud to be like an Asian woman. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can completely relate to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Growing up being teased. Right. Incessantly. And just mm-hmm. feeling so humiliated and embarrassed to be Asian because mm-hmm. my parents were Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I totally identify with what you're saying in terms of it's it's really cool when that when when that flip kind of that switch kind of flips in your mind and you realize, wait a second, this right. is what makes me special. Right. Right. It took a long time. It was for me. Like I I remember going to college, um, I always had friends, you know, from all different backgrounds. I re- really did. And um they looked at me one day and I, I remember having this like awakening in, in finance class because I majored in finance at the University of Utah. But I looked around and I was like, oh my gosh, it was me and my friend and her name was Victoria Ferguson. And I said, are we the only two like Asian girls like in this whole like 50 people class? Mm-hmm. And she's like, wow, it took you just now. It's <laughs> <a> senior year, <laughs> senior year for us, to, for me to realize like that's what happened. But I was like, whoa, like, that's so crazy, you know? And then being in a finance, being in the finance field, I mean, it being predominantly male as well, right? Like, that's a whole nother barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost felt like, am I good enough? Should I be here? And I was very fortunate that none of my friends or none of my peers made me feel, like, right. little. But it was just deep inside. Is that imposter that, syndrome yes. that they talk about? Yes. That sometimes we suffer from. Yeah. And deep down, I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm, you know, after that, I, I graduated. I think being in a supportive, like, work environment, 
and I was very fortunate to have supportive work environments from from the people that I was around um, to really make me believe like, no, like you do belong here. You do. You've earned your place. You've earned your place. And I think that also aided in like the whole cultural part too, right? It's like you as Natalie are doing good. Like you're mm-hmm. fine. Like, I, you know, I work at Extra Space Storage now as their senior investment analyst. And I have a really great boss. Her name's Irina Edwards. But she always makes me feel like supported, loved, and saying, you know, it's great to be a woman. We're trailblazing. We're we're doing things. You know, we can do it too. Like, right. And seeing her being so successful and being that role model and saying like so many people along the way, like Wendy Leonelli, women that have made it in banking or whatever it is, investments. It's like, wow, okay, like I can do it too. Well, I you think know? it's really awesome that you're at the University of Utah as a senior mm-hmm. and then looking around the class and saying, wait a second. There's only two of us that are Asian. That's a really cool thing and, and a great um, compliment, I think, to the school oh, and to the program. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you didn't feel right. you didn't feel like you were singled out or didn't feel like you were different right. is, is really incredible, I think. Right. I think I was, I don't know, I, I was laughing because I talked to um, my director of the scholarship during that time. It was Victoria Cabal, but I was talking to her. I was like, I just realized, I, I went to her room. I was like running into her office and I was like, Hey, I think I'm the, I'm the two. I, I, me and my friend are the only two girls that are Asian in this program or this class or whatever that we're taking. And she goes, it takes you that long. And she's laughing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she's like, I'm almost happy that you're living this bliss that you just are so unaware almost because it's been four years and now you're you're graduating. Then you realize. Right. Um, I think that's good too, Natalie. <laughs> but it's just kind of like I think I'm kind of oblivious in certain things where I'm just like. Oh, you know, like, hi, everyone. Like, you're my friend. And <laughs> I don't feel any different than you. Well, and you're just working hard. You've got your te- your head down. You're right. just you're right. just doing it. Right. Natalie, and I think that that's a really neat thing, too, because in our culture right now, in the world that we live in, it seems like everyone's so divided, you mm. know, and they're just looking for ways to show how different we are and things to be mad about. Right. And I think it's awesome that you are in the position that you're at, having accomplished all that you've accomplished. And you're a woman and you're an Asian woman. And you don't, that's not the first thing you look towards. Right. You know, it's not, you're not right. looking for things that separate and divide. Mm-hmm. You're looking for, right. hey, I'm just part of the team. Yes. I'm just here to be friends. Right. I think what's actually interesting too is like after I got, so I went to the University of Utah, got my grad degree, I mean, my undergrad, and then I went to Georgetown University, got my grad degree in real estate. And that was online. It was COVID times, but I got to meet a lot of my peers um, from the East Coast and, you know, online, all over, probably. all over. And it was a really diverse group of people. And um, talking to women, talking to men from all different backgrounds, I realized I'm like, wow, we're also happy. And they're so proud of it, too. And Th- that, they're, that, that they're, they have different backgrounds. That they're different backgrounds. Okay. That they're, we're all here. We can all come from different backgrounds, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're 40, whether you're 20, you know, like that we're all in this program together and we're working towards something, towards real estate and changing the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I remember like just thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, like I am proud. Like Good. at that moment, right? Like at that moment when you have to introduce yourself to your class and they say, tell me a little bit about yourself. And you're like, oh, I'm Natalie. And, you know, I'm an Asian woman and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, right? Like that's something to be proud of. And it's true. It took me a long time, but um, it's funny now that I hang out more with Asian people. I think when I was in college, I didn't hang out with them as much. And Was it because there just weren't, well, you'd mentioned not a lot of diversity in your program. Right, right. I think there was not a lot of diversity. I think I was ashamed Okay. in college for a part of, a, a part of it. Um, 
a lot. I had a lot of friends that were very vocal, right? Ashamed of what? Of being Asian. Okay. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. It took me a couple years in that college program and undergrad to realize like, okay, I, I accept being Asian. And there were a lot of vocal people about it. I had a lot of friends that were very vocal of saying like, I am proud. And I always looked at them. I was like, why are you proud? Because <laughs> right. I'm not different. Proud. Right. Like I'm not proud. At that mm-hmm. moment, I wasn't proud because I was so, in a sense, I felt suffocated, you know, because oh, okay. I'm like, I'm so lost right now. I can't communicate with my parents. Mm-hmm. My family's like so different than every other family that I'm looking at with my friends. Right. Because we're loud, we're fun, we're party every week. And, and they don't need other people. We don't. It's we just don't, the yeah. sort of family bubble. <laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> and I, uh, it, it just took me a while. And now that I've, I think that I've accepted it more and that I've come to terms of like being proud of my background and being proud of my family and mm-hmm. saying like, I'm not ashamed. Like my grandpa was uh, like Richard, mm-hmm. right? Like he was so proud. Yes. So, so proud to be like Tran. Mm-hmm. So proud to be a no. So proud for all of us like to accomplish things and I just, I just remember thinking, I'm like, how could you be so proud? Right. Um, but he's like, I'm proud. I'm just so proud of all of you. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of where we came from. Proud of how we got here. And I look up to him. He's my role model. And I always think to myself, I'm like, I want to be just as happy and optimistic and proud. Like, I'm, yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah. the thing when I, so but, but when I was dating Lee, mm-hmm. granted, I was really young. Mm-hmm. I was 19 when we got married. <laughs> but aside from that, <laughs> um, you know, I I remember meeting him and he was the first Asian person I'd ever dated mm-hmm. and literally probably ever knew outside from my, my sister <laughs> who's also adopted because I grew up in Utah County and not a lot of right. diversity. And the thing that I think made me fall in love with Lee so much was that he was so proud of who mm-hmm. he was. And I look at him thinking, wait, you're a boat person. Right. You're a refugee. You come from another country that's very poor and, mm-hmm. and you know, right. and, and not, not cool. Right. And, and I just, I remember thinking and wondering how he could be so proud of who he was. But when I met him, because same, I was always embarrassed about being mm-hmm. Asian. I mm-hmm. tell my friends, oh, my parents are Caucasian. My parents mm-hmm. are American. Because I didn't want to be different. Right. And I met Lee and he just said, tell me. I am proud of that I'm Chinese. I'm proud of where mm-hmm. my family came from. And he got that from his dad, mm-hmm. Grandpa Tran. Yeah. And until I met your grandpa, I didn't <laughs> understand where that pride and that courage and that just um, appreciation came right. from. But that's really what made me feel so much better about being Asian myself. Mm-hmm. Because Lee would say, why are you embarrassed about it? He said, this is what makes us special. This is what makes us unique. And I, and I didn't realize it. Right. And someday I would love to to do a, a talk or something for, for youth groups because it's true that what is different about us really is what's special about us. Right. And growing up, I didn't feel that way at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want people yeah. to know. Yeah. And my I, and it's so sad. I have a sister, Victoria, okay, yeah. who's also Korean. And I remember I, she's 22 months younger than me, so almost two years. I remember in school even wanting to avoid her because mm-hmm. she was Asian. Mm-hmm. And it was so weird. I mean, it's so awful for me to feel like that as a child that I didn't want to be associated with my Asian sister right. because then I somehow thought that that made mm. me right. be less than or, you know. I, yeah. No, I, so, so the fact that Grandpa Chan was so proud of who he was right. and all of you is right. such a great, um, j- just an inspiration to me oh. because that's really what I loved about yeah. Lee, the yeah. fact that he was loud and proud, you know, <laughs> loud meaning that they love karaoke. They do. They're they a do. little bit crazy. She <laughs> talks about the family being a little crazy and fun, and they are. 
And, yes. <laughs> and they're, they're really inspiring. But something Natalie didn't share is that she is she's basically the oldest girl in the family in terms of the grandkids. Mm-hmm. And she raised the grandkids. She raised her cousins. <laughs> And not only is Natalie outstanding herself in her in your career and all that you've accomplished, um, having a master's degree from Georgetown, she's also inspired her young cousins to be equally you know, accomplished. So let's talk about this legacy that you've created. Because Natalie, this is yours. These are all your kids. No, I Their don't parents know. <laughs> were working so hard just to keep food on the table, and Natalie was raising them. Yeah, I, and that's I was- the truth. It was so funny that now you're thinking about it because they'll tell me, like, they'll introduce me to their friends, like Jackie and, and Willie and Hanson. They're like, this is like my mom. Right. This is my second mom. It's true. And um, they'll ask me for things. It's really funny. As they grow older, they're like 20. You got two 20-year-olds this year and you got one, you know, 19-year-old. And I said, when Willie moves to college, I think I'm going to cry. I genuinely think I'm just going to cry. He's your baby. He, he is my baby. Like, I love him so much. And um, it was hard because I think... As I grew up, I didn't know that I was, that was my responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? Because I was the oldest Mm -hmm. and feeding them, showering them, nap time. Right. You took care of them, Natalie. Taking care of these kids at like 14 years old, right? Changing their diapers when they were younger. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually had to talk with Jackie about this. I said, you know, during that time, I, I didn't ever feel like I resented anything. Then I got to a point in college where I was like, wow, I really did lose a lot of my teen mm-hmm. your experiences early 20s right and um and now that i'm older and i'm seeing you guys you know pave your own ways and become who you are i i realize i'm like i don't resent anything i'm so grateful because if anything that made me closer to you like i that relationship that we have now is so close and it's all because of me taking care of you as a kid. Like, mm-hmm. I know things about you guys. I just know when you lie. Right. I know when you're sneaking around. <laughs> I know. You're their mom. You really yeah. do. It's, it's a weird hunch. And I said I wouldn't take it back for anything. I, I, I used to think, what would life be like if I didn't have to take care of these kids? Mm-hmm. And I said, would I be happier? Like, I don't know. It's the unknown, right? Like, you, it's an opportunity cost almost. It's like, if I didn't do this, then what else would I do, right? Right. But looking back, I'm like, I'm so grateful you know, and it, it took me, it took me probably, you know, in college, like later in college years when grandpa was getting older and grandma was getting older and seeing these kids grow up to realize like this relationship is so deeply formed mm-hmm. because of their childhood, because of my childhood. And um, these kids have just become like amazing, just great, funny, dorky, you know, their own personalities. And and, and super smart and accomplished. Right. I mean, and we talk about, you know, sometimes I think people have so many assumptions about different cultures, Mm -hmm. and we all do. And and some of them are true. You know, we talk about the tiger mom sort of mentality. And and it's true. Your mom was really strict with you, and it paid off, Mm -hmm. but not at while she was doing it. It was really frustrating. Yes. But you were, in turn, able to take those parenting skills and apply them to your cousin's that you basically right. have raised, right. and now they're so accomplished. It it works, but I tell my mom sometimes, even now, I say, Mom, I wish you would have just said things a little bit softer. <laughs> right. but that's not the Asian way. Yeah, it's not the Asian. And it's funny because she's like, we would always get in these heated uh, arguments, right, because I felt like I was stuck. I'm raised, you know, an American. I'm an Asian American, but my mom wouldn't understand. And so, anyway, she was like, I, I said, I wish you would have just said that just in a nicer way. Mm-hmm. It's true. Right. And she's like, well, this is how I was raised. Right. This is how I am. And I said, okay. And she's like, well, when you have kids, 
you can do it your way. And so now that I realize, you know, like even with Jackie and all my younger cousins, it's like maybe the best way is to just speak softly, right? Mm-hmm, or convey true. the same message in a different light. And, you know, I told my mom, like, I know you can't change now. You know, it's harder for you to change. You could, but it's just harder. That's who you are. And mm-hmm. I love you for it. But um, I, I said, yeah, I, I I don't know if that's the best way to do things, but it definitely got me to where I am. So, <laughs> so I am grateful for you for that. My mom used to just tell us, she'd say, Tammy, someday when you have a family, you do things the way you want to yep. do it. But she would always emphasize the fact that the purpose and the great the great involvement of life, I guess, is that each generation will improve upon the last. Mm-hmm. And she would say, I hope that you're a better mom than I was. Mm-hmm. And and I tell our kids that. I hope that you're better parents than we were because mm-hmm. that's the evolution of parenting right. and that's how it should continue to change and be better. Right. And so the things that you've done in terms of just the accomplishments that you've had in your own life, let's talk about those. You graduated from Georgetown with your master's degree, which yes. is awesome. Yeah. You worked for a bank for a while. I worked for Zions for Bank Zions. for a while. Okay, mm-hmm. and now you're at um, Extra Space Storage, who just acquired Life Storage. Life Storage for billions of dollars. Yes, yeah. it's incredible, Natalie. Right. You're working for this billion-dollar company, right. and you're at the helm, helping to provide data to make really big decisions. Right. We got a great team. I'm very fortunate to be working with a, a great group of people. Extra Space Storage has, and we have a phenomenal team that makes me always feel like, you know, supported. Well, and you were talking about your boss, who's a right. woman. Right. And I think one of the most important things that women can do is support each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, as I've worked mostly with men during my career, men tend to be very uh, com- competitive with each other, mm-hmm. but not really with women. I've never felt that men are mm-hmm. competing with me personally, but women... Right. are very competitive right? <laughs> towards other women. <laughs> right. And so what what does your boss do and what are some things that you can do as, as providing takeaways for women and people who are listening to this in terms of being a supportive boss, mm-hmm. a supportive coworker? I think for her, what she did really well um, for me is listening and being empathetic. And I think that's a trait that a lot of leaders and should have is empathy and compassion. And she was always very supportive of our family circumstances, whatever the case may be, willing to listen, willing to say, how can I help you? You know, it didn't feel like you were working yourself to death and then your boss wasn't listening because she'll pull you aside or she'll tell me to come over or she'll be like, okay, I'm running around like crazy, but I'm making time for you. So tell me what's going on and how I can help you. So being a listener, being compassionate and saying, how can I support you in your career? And really meaning that. Right. I mean, I think that's how I felt love from her. It's just like, I want you to be the best that you can be. And this is how you're going to get there. And this is what I'm going to do to help you. But you need to ask me questions along the way, because I don't know what you don't know. That's very important. And I think being a woman sometimes and and being, you know, in a male dominated field, I always get really scared to confront or to ask. Right. I'd rather be quiet and just listen. And uh, she's taught me to, you know, voice yourself. She's she's very, she has a question. If she has something she does not understand, she will be in the meeting and she'll voice it. And um, I love that about her. You know, this fiery, strong, headstrong woman who has done such a great job. You know, I think I owe a lot. Um, I've worked for her for like a year and a half, coming up on two years. Um, and every time, every day I work with her, it, I, I tell her she's like my mom. Really? She really is my mom. And uh, I tell her, you need to tell me when I'm screwing up 
You need to tell me when I'm not pulling weight. You need to tell me all these things. How can I be better? And uh, she's honest. She's that's to good. the point. And I think that's that helps. That helps to just say, okay, I want you to be better, and I'm going to be straightforward and honest with you. You know, and I think those are conversations that need to be had in the workplace. And we need to be able to be open about those conversations and just owning it and and knowing that, may yeah, there are times when it might be a little harsh. There are times where it might hurt your feelings or there are mm-hmm. times when there's miscommunication involved. But like being able to just like accept it and say there must be something going on for her to talk about this and never saying being defensive about it. It's almost just being like open to it and listening. Um, and I think that really helped project my career, propel my career, actually. Um, was having a boss like her. That's really good. No, yeah, it's good. It's good to know because we want to be able to take what we learn and push it. You know, play it, pay it forward, right, right? And do other things. One thing that you mentioned that I thought was really, really key and critical is is ans- asking questions. Mm-hmm. When I first uh, decided to get into politics, mm-hmm. you know, city council, I would sometimes be in meetings and wouldn't really know what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't understand the topic. Wasn't familiar with the terminology, mm-hmm. the industry. And was really reluctant to ask. Mm -hmm. And then after I've had more experience and I've been in a lot of meetings with other people, I've realized that that's really something that men do pretty well Mm -hmm. is they do ask questions. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we as women might think, oh, shoot, they're going to think we're we're dumb Mm -hmm. or we're not prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe we'll look it up later. Yes. But it's really important for women to know that it's okay. Stand up, Mm -hmm. speak up, speak Mm -hmm. out, and ask your questions. And really it it helps the room. Right. You know, a lot of times, and it's really important for us to be able to share our perspectives. I, I do work with some women now within city government, and, you know, I've been in meetings with them, and they've said, gosh, I just, I wanted to say it, and I just, <laughs> I just didn't, and I'm kicking myself. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that it's really important. You get those, those feelings, those ideas, right. share them. Right. Be right. willing to just share them. Right. And, and, and be brave. That's it. Yeah. I think that's what she has definitely fostered in me in terms of just being supportive. And being and saying like you are heard. That's good. And um, so yeah, I, I'm really grateful for her and, and and what she's done for me and and so many others along the way. You know that were women that got me into the real estate field mm-hmm. that um, pushed me to say dream bigger. You know, yeah, dream bigger. Why not? Right. Question Just is go why for not? it. What yeah. advice do you have for any younger women, young adults, maybe that are listening and kind of in that place where they don't know what to do with their lives? They just don't know if they can do anything, mm-hmm. if they should. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, I tell people this all the time because I mentor some kids at the U. And I say to them, I say, life's so short, right? And we feel lost a lot. But sometimes just really think to yourself deep down, what makes you happy? What, what are we doing all this for? Why are we doing all this for? Like, what is our purpose almost? And I know people ask that all the time and it's really hard to answer. But truly reflecting upon yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And once you can understand the why, then it gives you so much more purpose and you won't feel so lost because then you wake up and you say, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? And I know what I'm doing this for. So for me, it's like going to work. I said, you know, I love my job. I love the people I work with. But the why I'm doing it is because of my family. I'm able to provide experiences. I'm able to spend time with them. I'm able to give granny things that she wants Mm -hmm. and loves. And it's all because of the joy that I get 
And that's my why, is my family's happiness, right? And so not losing sight of the why. And if you don't know your why, it takes time. It takes time. And it's okay. And it's okay to take the time to find it. Grandpa Tran was known for saying something, and it it is um, eat now, worry later. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and we love it. I want to I want to have that logo put on some t shirts and some hoodies and stuff yes. because I love it. Yes, um, and it's it's the joy that you're talking about, right. and it's really realizing okay, you're in this rat race, you're you're stressed yes. out, you're going to yes. school, you're trying to figure out your life. Right. What what is the joy that you're trying to get? Because right. it's always a feeling that we're seeking. Right. Really, not things. It's a feeling. How will this make me feel? Yes. And so it's so important to find your way. Yes. And I appreciate your time, Natalie. Oh, thank you, Aunt Tammy, for having me. You've been great. Thank you. To all my podcast listeners, thank you for listening. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Please leave comments and please leave suggestions for future guests. And most importantly, subscribe. Thank you.